please turn this morning to that passage that we read for our scripture reading, Isaiah chapter 53. Our text will be verse 5. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I often think about the very strange circumstances that came to bring about my own birth. I won't bore you with the details, but it took a world war and the movement of a young man from a remote village in Germany, captured, taken as a prisoner of war up into Scotland, and after the war, when released with nothing to return home to, remaining in this country, for some reason, moving south to Sussex, where he met my mother. And I often think that the circumstances themselves are strange, that they should have come together and then I could be born. But then I think, what if someone wrote about that and wrote about the detail of that hundreds of years before those events took place? It would be astonishing, almost too astonishing to be believable. And yet the passage that we're looking at this morning gives us incredible detail about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ that were to take place some 700 years after the prophecy was written. The detail here and in many other places within the Old Testament scriptures is remarkable, astonishing, amazing, almost too, uh, too amazing to be believable. And yet, we know that these things are so. So we're looking at a verse, and do bear this in mind, that was written 700 years before the events of which it described were to take place. I want you to notice also, and I'm now talking uh, for a moment or two about the entire passage, that it's written in the past tense. Who hath believed our report? And it says, he is despised, uh, but he, in our verse, Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And it's characteristic of the entire passage that so much of it is written in the past tense, as good as done, as good as accomplished, even though given so many centuries before these events take place. And our verse is somewhat central to the entirety of this chapter, this portion of scripture that speaks of the sufferings of the coming Messiah, the suffering servant. And I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 5, that there is a contrast. The verse begins with the word but. There's a contrast in this verse with all that has gone before, Isaiah describes the attitude of all mankind towards our Saviour, the one who would come, verse 1, who hath believed our report. There is unbelief 
that is characteristic of all mankind. Verse 2, he has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. His ordinary appearance would have nothing to mark him out as being significantly different from any other human being. And indeed, we would therefore, uh, in our natural state, our natural reaction would therefore be not to regard him as anything of significance if we were to see him. He goes on to say in verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, speaking of all mankind, despised and rejected. But then later in that verse, it becomes a little more personal. Yes, mankind as a race turns its back upon the Saviour, the one who came to be the suffering servant. But the verse, as it moves on, goes on to say, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. It's easy sometimes to park that rejection of the Saviour as something that resides on the race as a whole and to omit or to forget that that implies that we too are involved in this. This describes our attitude towards the Saviour. Verse 5, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken. The word quite literally means failed, as though his life, his ministry was a failure. Yes, perhaps a great orator whose words were so full of depth and profound truth. The stories he told so incredible, but ultimately a failure. The miracles that he did were amazing, but we regard him as a failure. Yet we we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, as though he, he was deserving of what he got when at the end of his life he was nailed to that cross and afflicted. And that's a word that has to do with humiliation, abject humiliation. We look down upon the one who was the suffering servant. So the build-up, in the verses that have gone before, describe, as well as part of all that he would come to accomplish, our attitude towards him, both as a race and as individuals, our unbelief, our rejection of him, our despising of him, our looking down upon someone that we regarded as a failure. And the contrast then comes in, but, but, the reality is laid before us here in this verse. What was actually going on? What was it that the Saviour came to accomplish? And this verse begins to unfold that reality. And so secondly, as we now move into the verse, I'd like to show you from this verse the totality of the rejection and suffering of the Saviour as he went to the cross on Calvary's hill. But this is the reality. He was wounded 
for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. First of all, the verse tells us that he was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. Who wounded? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who was it that inflicted those wounds upon him? Well, we know that it was the Roman soldiers and the Roman authorities who literally, physically wounded him, either through the lashings that were administered as he was beaten before he went to the cross. They were the ones who drove the nails through his hands and through his feet. They were the ones who buffeted him and punched him and spat upon him. They were the ones who thrust that crown of thorns upon his head and then lifted that cross and dropped it into the socket so that he would be crucified. They were the ones, we might think, who wounded him. But prior to this, uh, the Jews were involved also. And Pilate, it was he who had him beaten before the people. But these wounds were way beyond just the physical wounds. The word uh, wounded here, it has to do with piercing. And so we most commonly associate it with the physical sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, but is often used in the content, context also of um, emotional wounding, defilement and degradation also. And the crowd were involved in the inflicting of those wounds. This, the Jewish uh, religious leaders, the chiefs, priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, inciting the crowd and pouring scorn upon him and words of hatred even there as he hung upon the cross. But you know, if we only saw that wounded as inflicted by the Romans and by the Jews who were present there were on the, at the moment, the time of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would miss the point of what's being said here. He was wounded by each and every one of us. We weren't physically present. We didn't hammer that nail through his hand, hands and feet. We didn't punch him physically. We hadn't been born, but we wounded the Saviour. And the hymn writers pick this theme up and they pick it up very movingly. Who, who my Saviour this hath done? Who could thy sacred body wound? No guilt thy spotless heart hath known. No guile hath in thy lips been found. I, I alone have done the deed. Tis I thy sacred flesh have torn. My sins have caused thee, Lord, to bleed. Pointed the nail and fixed the thorn. It was me. It was each one of us with our sins that wounded the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that wounding of which our verse speaks? It, it encompasses all mankind in the deed of crucifying and wounding the Saviour. We were all complicit 
in that act. He was rejected and he suffered at the hands of all mankind. And we must see, we must begin to understand our own part in this. But then the verse goes on. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, secondly, for our iniquities. He was bruised, a second element in the sufferings and the rejection of the Saviour. And surely we cannot help but think back to that first gospel promise in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, when uh, in the Garden of Eden and speaking of the promised seed, the one that would come, the serpent, the enemy of souls was told, thou shalt bruise his heel. And don't we see not only is mankind involved and us, each one of us in particular, in the wounding of the Saviour, but the enemy of souls was involved as well. Now I have to be careful here because number one, the word used in Isaiah 53 uh, for bruise is a different word than was used in the book of Genesis. So I want to make that clear. I also want to indicate to you that no other mention is made of the, uh, the presence of the enemy of souls at the, the time when the suffering saviour would endure that excruciating agony to secure forgiveness for mankind. I also ought to add that verse 10 of Isaiah 53 goes on to say, and this really is a, a very moving thing to reflect upon, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That bruising on account of our iniquities was inflicted by God the Father. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. So I don't want to make too much of the, uh, the presence of the enemy of souls, but perhaps to say this much, and perhaps this will be helpful, that just at that very moment, when the enemy of souls thought that he had extinguished the life of the one who came to be the Messiah, just at the moment when he thought that he was triumphant over the Saviour and the Messiah, and thought to inflict as much pain and injury and humiliation as he possibly could, was the very moment when the greatest transaction in the history of the world took place. And Christ suffered on behalf of his people. But I want you to understand that not only mankind, but that the enemy of souls was against the Lord Jesus Christ there as he hung upon the cross. And as we've seen, God the Father also was involved in that bruising of our Saviour so that our iniquity could be forgiven and that we could be pardoned and set free. But then thirdly, the verse goes on to say, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. It's all about punishments. That's what this, uh, this suffering servant came to endure. This is punishment. We are reminded that it, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And in verse 6, we're told the Lord 
hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in those moments of anguish, as Christ the Lord, the second person of the Godhead, hung upon Calvary's cross, we can scarce take this in. God the Father put upon him the weight of the guilt of human sin of all those that would be saved upon his dear son and smote him. No wonder the Saviour in those moments cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can you not see the totality of his sufferings, the depths to which he went? to be rejected by man, to experience the hostility and hatred of the enemy of souls, and even his own father pouring out wrath upon him in the place of sinful men and women and young people. And yet we're told in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was smitten of God, yes, that's what we imagine, but we imagine it in a kind of humiliating way. He was smitten of God and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord because it showed his readiness to suffer on behalf of his people. It pleased the Lord because in his sufferings and death upon the cross at Calvary was the most complete expression of all the attributes of the Godhead, his holiness and his justice, his settled hatred against sin, his determination that all sin should be judged, and yet at the same time, his grace, his love and his mercy. It pleased the Lord to bruise him because there, chief above all, other manifestations of his attributes, every attribute was brought into perfect focus and seen so gloriously. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him thirdly and for us most wonderfully. Because in that suffering and in that death, the purchase of a people was made possible. A purchase of, the peop of a people for himself was made as he suffered in their place and all the purposes of the Godhead were brought into fruition. But thirdly, we've considered the contrast. We've now considered something of the depths of the suffering and of the rejection that the Saviour went through. Let's consider for a moment or two the great purpose of these sufferings. And it's here. In the verse, he was wounded for our transgressions. And that word transgression has to do with human rebellion against God. It's a word here that stands for all the actual sins that we commit, whether in word, in deed, in thought, in motive, it includes those sins of omission as well as commission. It includes all the actual sins that we, we, we commit. He was wounded for our transgressions. 
But there's a second element. He was bruised for our iniquities. Not only do we commit sins, but we are sinners by nature. We have that sin nature within us. It defines us, and that too needs to be dealt with. That is sinful in the sight of God. The word literally means perversion. The perversion, the twistedness of our nature and the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went through all of that so that not only our actual sins could be forgiven, but the sin of our sin nature could be dealt with. So that he could not only wash us clean from our sins, but also he could change our nature and give us a new heart a new birth, a new walk with him. These are marvellous things. And then the verse goes on to say, not only was he wounded for our transgressions, not only was he bruised for our iniquities, but the chastisement of our peace was upon him. We've said before, this is all about punishment. Now, many of us here, I know, uh, are or have been Parents, and when you have children and they do wrong and you inflict some form of uh, sanction, some form of punishment upon them, hopefully, if you're a good parent, a loving parent, the sanction that you inflict corresponds in measure with the crime. If the child does a, a, a minor misdemeanor. You don't inflict the harshest of penalties upon them immediately. And there's something that we can learn from that here. Because as we've considered the depths and the, uh, the, the greatness of the sufferings through which the Lord Jesus Christ went so that he could set us free from our sin, it shows how great must be the crime of our sins before a holy God. Our attitude so often is to look at our sin, our sin in particular, and minimise it, excuse it, explain it away, or we become adept at repackaging it, calling it something else, to distract from its sinful nature before God. But can't you see? The verse is appealing to us. The verse is calling to us. If the Saviour had to go through all of that degradation and suffering, it was a punishment that fitted the crime. Sin is so serious. And even the smallest breach of God's holy law demands eternal separation from him and punishment to be inflicted. Oh, the Saviour, such love he had for his people that though our sin was so great and though it cost him so much, he went to that cross so that we could be set free, pardoned and forgiven. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And then fourthly, with his stripes, we are healed. What this speaks of is the infliction of the penalty. 
This is the sanction that is judicially applied for the breach of an outraged law. Christ endured all of that so that we could be healed, so that we could be set free. But not only do we see that by way of the purposes, but we see the great blessings that are ours through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. And we might read it in this way. The chastisement that secures our peace was upon him. We are at enmity with God. We're away from him because of our sin. When we begin to see the seriousness of sin because of what Christ endured, we begin to appreciate, perhaps as never before, the great distance that is between us. There's nothing that I can do, no efforts that I can bring that could ever bring me back to know my God and to have forgiveness in my own merits, imagined goodness, and so on. Christ alone, by his sufferings and death, can secure peace with God. That enmity is now broken. I'm brought near. All the pictures that the Bible uses, well, they're not pictures, they're absolute reality. We're enemies of God. We're against him. We're rebels. But by salvation, through what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, we are brought to peace with him, a relationship with him. There is that closeness. He is now our present saviour and our God. We can relate to him. We're adopted into his family. We were, who were away from him with no hope are given eternal hope, wonderful blessings that come from this peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. This, of course, is about spiritual healing. The sin that we have committed, the sins, the actual sins are forgiven and a new heart is put within us. No wonder the Bible calls this a new birth. It's like a complete remake, a remodeling of ourselves. That old heart of stone is taken from us, a new heart. To love and to worship our God is put within us. We're born again. We become new people. And then lastly, as we close, looking again just at this verse, I ask the question, who? Who? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Who does this verse apply to? Well, it applies to any who come to Jesus Christ, confessing their sin and their need falling at his feet, humbly asking for mercy and for grace alone, trusting in what he has done to secure 
the salvation of their souls. It comes first of all with a recognition, yes, what the passage says is true. I despised, I rejected the saviour of the world. That was me. I hated him, wanted nothing to do with him, regarded it as an interference of God to demand my bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and trusting him. I see it now, the foolishness of it. I begin to see my sin and almost despair of it. But look, then verse 6 becomes my reality. I acknowledge my own going astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. Or yeah, you could say that's again about the human race. We have turned everyone, and I include myself in this, to his own way. And my great hope now is that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, my sin, my iniquity, and I turn to him, I come to him. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ this morning perhaps could read the verse in this way, but I was wounded for your transgression. I was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon me, and with my stripes you are healed. It would be a wonderful thing if each and every one of us could read the word, the verse in this way. Yes, Lord, I see that now. I see the depth of my sin and my need. And as I've turned to thee, repenting of my sin, I am now able to say, almost in it with a sense of wonder, but he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes I am healed. Well, may the Lord impress these things upon our hearts. And if we've never yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, never acknowledged him, never turned to him, may we begin to see our sin there on him and he suffering the consequences of it in our place and run to him and make that verse our own. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, these things are beyond our power fully to enter into or to comprehend that the Son of the living God should suffer in such humiliation and to such extremes so that we could be set free from the consequences of our sin. But such was his love for us, and we thank thee for his willingness to suffer and to die. Lord, we pray that we may see our own sin and run to him and trust in that sacrifice made 2,000 years ago, promised 700 years even before it took place. And may these things be to us what bring us to know thee, 
and to walk with thee. We ask these things in the name of our Saviour and for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is the hymn 547. Hymn 547. I bring my sins to thee, the sins I cannot count, that all may cleansed be in thy once opened fount. Hymn 547.